Welcome to another episode of the Gain Momentum Podcast, focusing on timeless lessons from global industry leaders about how to grow and scale a business in hospitality, travel, food service, and technology. I'm Jason Amanis, here with my co-host, Adam Mogolonsky. Adam, how are you? Great as always. Today's guest is Christopher Hunsberger, co-founder and chief operating officer of Appalachian, a luxury hotel brand. Hello, Chris. Good afternoon. So, Chris, our podcast structure is framed around four key questions that we ask senior leaders looking at timeless lessons. And yourself, you have over three decades of experience with Four Seasons, if I'm not mistaken. And that is tremendous for everyone to learn from you. So, with that, we're going to dive right into the first question here, which is what single piece of advice would you give to vendor companies looking to enter hospitality? Great question. Thanks for asking that, Adam. A couple things come to mind, so I'll take a little latitude with that question if I can. And and one is, not unlike so many things in the hospitality business, is really understanding your customer. So really knowing the customer and uh, doing your homework on that customer before you create that first level of engagement. Certainly is also making sure that you've given some thought to that customer in terms of tailoring your message and making it specific and hopefully resonate with that person you're, you're approaching or uh, making your pitch to. And the last thing is, not unlike so many things in life and certainly in the world of business, so many things also go well beyond the actual product offering, but it's so much about relationships. And so how to embellish upon that relationship, how to build the relationship, I think are, are all really important points of that, you know, the, the reach out to make that happen. Tell us, you, 30 years at one organization, you had to have developed a handful of long term key relationship with vendors. I mean, can you give us an example of one of those relationships? How did it come to be and how did it uh, sustain itself over the years? Yeah, I have to give a little bit of thought to that one. But yes, in 30 years, definitely developed some key relationships with clients and with vendors. One client comes to mind, great client of, of Four Seasons Hotels and still remains, you know, someone that I stay in touch with is Bill and Stacy Fisher, icons in the travel side of the business, um, run one of the most prestigious agencies today in New York City. They are individuals who I respect immensely, built a relationship from the ground up or, or leveraged a relationship that the company had with them, but two people who appreciated having a relationship, being able to pick up the phone when they had an important client that they wanted us to make sure we took great care of, but also were really great about providing really candid, honest feedback, which I think is is so important that as uh, you're on the receiving end of that, you can count on people to give you the, the good news and also you know the opportunities to sort of improve upon that. So they would be one that I would talk about uh, that really um, was instrumental and still remains someone that, uh, that we're connected to going forward. A lot of vendors out there that you know had great relationships. I'll, I'll call out one, maybe one that's not as well-known, but a company called Avero, which started by Two different individuals, uh, Damian Mogavero and Doug C, probably started 15 or more years ago, really as a, a sort of software provider in the hospitality restaurant space. And we were Four Seasons, an early adopter of that technology that really gave us great insights into food and beverage and how we were performing. This was at a time where we were really evolving our food and beverage offering and, and its relevance and um, all aspects of that business. 
But Avera was a great partner to us in my Four Seasons days as we were really thinking about the next evolution of food and beverage inside Four Seasons Hotels. Well, with Four Seasons now shifting gears to Appalachian and yes. looking at uh, Appalachian Insights, which is this, this incredible undertaking of developing your own internal technology stack and looking at the vendors there and with respect to relationships how did you go about evaluating your vendors from a relationship standpoint? It started first with us, our, our senior leadership team, uh, in particular, our director of finance and our uh, chief marketing officer, Ed Scapadoc, kind of figuring out who was a great consultant for us to bring on board to help guide us through that process that bought into our vision. Coming back to that first question you asked, all about relationships and did we connect and was did it feel like a good fit? And it did. And that consultant was a gentleman named Mark Fancourt. Mark's been with us on this journey for well over two years. And very early on, Mark took the time to help us sort of unfold and unlock you know, what we were doing and what we wanted the guest experience to be, but also what we wanted our associate experience to be. And from there, we really started to evaluate you know, what are the things that are going to allow us to leverage today's technology, not necessarily on the bleeding edge or the cutting edge, but things that you know, really were relevant. And in many cases, established hotel companies hadn't had a chance to sort of fully embrace because when you're in a big established company, it takes a long time to impact change like that. And as you probably know, as being as well studied as you are in the hospitality business, in a lot of hotel tech stack ecosystems, it's not uncommon today to have 100, 120 different functions um, and in some cases, a lot of providers or a lot of users are actually using, you know, over 100 different applications or software applications. We wanted to look at ways to simplify that. Um, less is more. It's a lesson I've learned along the way. And find providers that could be more than just sort of one unique software offering. And so we've gone from a high level look at that to 120 different functions to how do we boil that down to delivering that same functionality, but with a much shorter list of vendors. So we've been on this journey for well over two years. We've called that down to really just under 50 different unique providers that we're using, as opposed to many other brands say that would be using a lot more than that, and evaluating the players that could provide that sort of multifunctionality as a software provider also understanding how they wanted to embrace what we were doing, because in some cases, we're doing a lot of things that are a bit different and unique. I'll, I'll say to you that the foundation or the cornerstone of a couple of the key components of that today are really Salesforce as that sort of one go-to CRM. Um, they've been a great partner to work with. They have a middleware provider called Happy that also has been an integral part of that. And then really a PMS provider that we found really understood us understood the importance of being able to allow the consumer, the guest, to do a lot more one-stop shopping, You know, not just book a room reservation, but book your spa reservation, book, book your food and beverage, your restaurant offerings is Maestro. And they're really kind of the, the foundational pieces of our tech stack today. And we've just sort of carefully been on this journey for you know well over two years, building that out and road testing it. And um, you'll start to see parts of that, our web presence today. We have a web website, but we'll be launching a new website in the first quarter of next year that, again, I think will be a very compelling offering, um, especially from a, a guest and a consumer perspective, but doing some really unique things on that front with those providers and the others that sort of enhance the offering, if you will. 
there's a lot to unpack there, and I'm sure we could go through specific technology challenges that you've faced with regards to functionality. But maybe we can tie those into our second question here, which is, Chris, what are some of the challenges or setbacks you've experienced when rolling out a new business expansion or partnership? Great, great, great question, Adam. And, and boy, I guess we have to book another uh, opportunity to get yeah. together to discuss that. Could be a long, long conversation. But Yeah, just some um, highlights. Some highlights for sure. One thing that's really hard to predict as a startup as we are, um, five years into our journey, is to anticipate growth and how quickly we'll grow. We were really moving along very quickly and expeditiously uh, when we started the company five years ago. And then this crazy thing came along called the pandemic. Um, which threw, I think, everybody in the industry uh, a curveball or two. So uh, being able to, you know, to manage that through that was important. But we've always tried to make sure that as we think about growth and, and navigating the journey, that we're constantly thinking about how can we grow more quickly when the opportunities present themselves, but in a thoughtful and in, in a logical way, in a way that you know, we're not stretching ourselves too far. You know, today, I, I, we're still big believers in the team we build, the talent um, that we have, and the talent that we will bring into our team going forward is really an integral part. All of our key senior leaders today that are on board are people that are really good with one specific function, but they also are willing to kind of roll up their sleeves and do what it takes in a startup to make things happen. And so uh, there's no day where, you know, whether we're talking about Ed as our chief marketing officer or Jennifer, our vice president of operations, or any other members where they're not doing things that perhaps are beyond the normal scope of their job, but it allows us um, that ability to scale up and tackle issues as they arise. And the other thing we're constantly doing is we're constantly talking with people that can be a part of the next phase of our of evolving our team. We've had extraordinary interest in jobs that we've posted that, quite honestly, we may not fill for three or four months, but we always want to be ahead of that curve, making sure we've got a robust pipeline of talent of people that we feel not only have the right skill set, have the right experience, but very importantly, are a great cultural fit to the company. How do you choose those folks? Like, why do you think that they're attracted, first of all, and then your hiring process? Is there anything unique about it? I don't know that I could say we're writing the book on it or, or we've got some you know, secret sauce or secret recipe in the case of a food and beverage-centric company. But certainly, we've gotten great traction through LinkedIn, which today is, is, is a great resource for companies to recruit through. And I think we, we've learned to leverage that a lot more as, as a tool that goes beyond sort of our presence out there in the business community. Again, we've, we've had great success and, and great responses. When we're you know, writing or posting a, a, a job on LinkedIn, we kind of look at it and, and how can we create something a little more compelling so that when someone looks at it, it happens to come upon it. It makes them go a little deeper. Um, and when it comes down to actually, you know, the, the conversations we're having with candidates, we have leveraged like everybody else today, um, you know, functionality like this where you can get on the phone and, and actually see people and talk to people and they can get to know us. We, we believe that, you know, not only is it important for us to feel like they're a good fit, but we want to make sure they get a chance to know us. So everyone that we're hiring today meets most of our senior leadership team. Sometimes that's virtually. Uh, we always prefer to have several conversations in person. And in some cases, we've afforded the opportunity for people to join us you know, as a consultant and things like that before they make that sort of full leap of faith and, and join us more permanently. Um, it's a great way for both parties to get to know each other. So 
maybe a little bit different than traditional recruiting and onboarding, but it's worked for us really well so far. And allowing the team to meet, you know, the new colleague that's coming in and feeling a part of that discussion and that decision, we feel is really important as we build out a company where culture is very important to us in the organization. To bridge the gap between culture, talent, team building, and also you mentioned earlier the associate journey via technology, I'm wondering, could you share some light on how you've crafted the Appalachian Insights full stack platform to better encourage this team building and really make your talent shine? Early on in that, great, great question, Adam. And there's certain functionality today that we've not sort of gotten as as deeply into. And as you can well imagine, probably not unlike anybody else out today, we're trying to figure out how does AI come into this? You know, many of those software providers that I mentioned earlier and others that we're in conversations with right now are all embracing it in different ways. We think there's a place for it and trying to understand that as it evolves and as we evolve is something we're, we're definitely trying to figure out and unpack and figure out where it makes sense for us to leverage the you know, various functionality that, that's afforded through you know, companies embracing AI. We still believe as it comes to building a team, there's nothing better than being together in a space. Um, it doesn't mean that we don't have people periodically working remotely and that sort of thing. But there's nothing that replaces the conversation by the water cooler or over a cup of coffee in the morning. And so we really do encourage you know, our team today to be in the office with great regularity so that there is that ability to interact, not only in the formal sort of meetings and that sort of thing, but the informality of that is equally as important. Currently, your company, Appalachian, is based in Healdsburg. That's correct. Hillsburg, California, Northern Sonoma County, just about an hour north of of San Francisco. And of course, there are properties that are planned for well beyond just wine country, California. Yes. So so I'm wondering, how do you find the the post-pandemic balance between having your company and having everyone really develop that in-person culture in Healdsburg with this work-from-home mentality that and particularly across a brand that is, uh, that is expanding rapidly across the country. Yeah. Uh, well, the, the good news for us is we're very focused, maybe somewhat selfishly, but also really wanting to make sure that what we do, we do extremely well. You know, the, the first hotel and whatever is the next hotel after that will be what people judge us on. So today we're very focused on building out the first you know, handful of properties on the West Coast, have turned down many opportunities to go other places you know, beyond the Rockies as you head east. But that's been a core focus of ours. One of the things we want to make sure we get right before we go reaching out too far geographically is the ability to make sure that we can be at any one of our hotels within a matter of hours. You know, today, whether we're talking about Healdsburg, which is where our our corporate headquarters are, where our first hotel will open. Down the road, we have another project in Petaluma, which is the south end of of Sonoma County, a 30-minute drive away. We have a project going south down in Monterey County, which is a two and a half hour drive on a good day down in Pacific Grove. Probably the furthest one geographically away from us today and the first four is out in Sun Valley, Idaho. But again, you know, good air in and out of there and we can get there, you know, within a matter of hours, you know, via air. We want to make sure that we're connecting with our teams, that our corporate team will spend a lot of their time not in the office. Actually, they'll spend it at the property level 
you know, supporting our teams, which we think is really critically important. And really, the other part of your question is, you know, how do we how do we strike that balance today with you know what's happened during the pandemic and people wanting to spend more time at home? I think we're we're a lot more open to it. As a person who grew up always being in the office, you know, the pandemic was a good wake up call, I think, for many of us. And so we've tried to be a bit more flexible and fluid in that regard, and making sure you know team members, senior team members today, as we build out the corporate team know one of those key days we need them all to be here, but allow some fluidity in their schedule. Right. I think that's a good point. You mentioned earlier about AI. And to now go over to our third question. Please. Chris, what do you see as the biggest opportunities for growth in hospitality for 2024 and beyond? You know, what The space we identified with my co-founder and business partner and, and CEO, Charlie Palmer, was really what we refer to today as approachable luxury. Look at my my background, right, or where Charlie spent a lot of his life has been, you know, in the in the high end of luxury. Um, whether it's working for Four Seasons Hotels or Charlie working inside of of luxury hotels as being the F and B provider. But what we what we believe today is is a real opportunity is this what we refer to as approachable luxury. It's it's the comforts uh, and the amenitization you would expect in a luxury hotel, but in many cases, it's it's more relaxed. Um, we really focus on profiling our associates, our team at the property level, and we want their personalities to uh, really influence the experience with those guests uh, and customers. We are very food and beverage centric in all that we do. So the minute you arrive at one of our hotels, you you know you're arriving into a place where food and beverage is embraced. And um, literally, when you arrive into our Hillsburg Hotel, it might be like if I were inviting you over to my house for dinner, you'd probably come in through the kitchen door, not the front door. And you'd know that, you know, you've arrived in the kitchen because there's something going on. There's something being cooked. Uh, There might be someone, one or more of us actually cooking something. And so many great things happen, um, you know, over food and over a glass of wine or whatever your beverage is of, of choice. And so we really celebrate and profile, you know, food and beverage and the team that, that makes that happen at our property levels. All of our kitchens are open kitchens um, that really connect to the lobby and provide a level of activation there so that if they're active places. Um, and, you know, going beyond that, you know, where there's a lot of things we've done programmatically that sort of re re-emphasize the food and beverage component of what we're doing. You know, today, um, wherever we have the land to work with, as we do in Healdsburg, we've got a couple acres of our property that will be planted in gardens where we're growing. Great, great news here in, in Sonoma County, we can grow things almost year round. Um, so we'll bring a lot of that truly from our small gardens at the property level, and it'll be used in the food and beverage program as just another element. And where we, we don't have those you know, gardens on the grounds, you know, the, the relationship to local vendors and sourcing as much food product and beverage product, you know, through local sources is, is really, really important. And those relationships. And we, another sort of foundational part of what Appalachian is all about is we really believe, you know, to create true sense of place, we want these hotels that we're building and will ultimately be open. We want them to be a place where they're embraced by the community and they're, they're truly representative of the community that you as a guest are coming to. If you're coming to Healdsburg in the heart of Sonoma County wine country, you know, you should be able to, while you're there, if you want to rub elbows, you know, or, or interact with winemakers that are from here, 
purveyors that are, are you know, growing things from here. Um, you know, there's such a robust ecosystem of makers and artisans and farmers and vintners in this destination that we want you know, to be a place for them to go to and that's a comfortable place, but also a place that they want to bring to people to so they can feel you know, that much more connected to the community. So connection to community is another thing that we put very high in how we sort of position these hotels and what's happening inside the hotels. What was the impetus to go food experience first versus golf or you know, river um, rafting? Or <laughs> it, 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 it's an opportunity that a couple others embraced before us. So I, I wish I could say we're the pioneers and, you know, this is a, a unique concept. We often, you know, look to those who have gone before us as inspiration. I think a guy uh, who led a company back, you know, 35, 40 years ago, might not have the, the exact timing right on it, would be Bill Kempton and what Bill Kempton did with the first handful of, of Kempton hotels, where they really embraced the importance of food and beverage and did it very, very well. They executed very, very well on that. Kempton today is a much bigger hotel company, but that would be one. And, and you know, we, we just see today, and, and the pandemic just underscored it that much more, more and more people want to go out and dine, right? Again, our hotels are as much about the traveler coming and staying in those hotels as they are about the communities that we serve and that we live in. So we want our restaurants, we want, you know, our spas, we want all this, these other amenities that we offer. It's not just for our hotel guests. It's also a place where we want locals to feel very comfortable and to frequent those places. But food and beverage, I, it's just so many people, I'm sure that you all know it, um, not knowing your dining habits, but you know, today everybody loves to talk about, you know, the latest restaurant, the latest bar, the latest you know, offering in, in any town where we're, you know, going and, and building a new hotel right now. And it's just so much a part of everyone's lives that we thought we, this is, this is not a trend that's going away. It's only gotten stronger, I think, in a, a much more important ingredient of the way people live today. And so uh, we wanted to seize that opportunity and, and embrace it because we think it's a core part of hospitality and this interesting merger of of more traditional hotels and, and hospitality offerings with a really strong food and beverage component. Well, aside from just food and beverage, you, you mentioned embracing the community and showcasing the community. And uh, through amenitization, I've never actually used that word. but I, I'm uh, not I'm sure that's a real word, Adam, but I, I'm, I'm going it is, with it. It is now. <laughs> okay. So there you go. Uh, but I'm wondering if you could unpack... Another feature of Appalachian that I really like, which is the maker spaces from a community standpoint. And I'm wondering if you could un- talk about going from inception to then implementation. And really, my, my impetus for asking this is there are probably a lot of hoteliers out there who are like, I have this great idea. I have this great idea. I just don't know how to bring this forward and, and really operationalize it. And uh, y- your words of wisdom talking about the soup to nuts, if there is an expression in the maker spaces could really, really help uh, a lot of people understand this process. Sure. It came about through a lot of discussion as a team, as we thought about how do we differentiate, how do we do something that again, allows us to bring this true sense of place and bring local makers, local artisans, local talent and profile them and showcase them inside of our hotels. And then the other driver in it was, we know in most hotels, uh, you know, a, a 
part of your business is going to be driven by um, whether it's the board retreat or a, a small event of some sort, or maybe something that much bigger. But event space tends to be a core programming element of hotels. The one thing we've seen and one thing we experienced firsthand is having event space that is exclusively designed for, you know, for events uh, as we know them today. Again, large birthday party, uh, you know, a, a bar mitzvah, a wedding, a corporate event. Those are, are pretty straightforward in terms of their programming. We saw an opportunity to sort of expand that and create spaces that are more flexible with what, as you uh, referred to earlier, as maker spaces. There are spaces quite often um, that are either adjacent to or connected to uh, our restaurants and bars and or our event spaces. They're flexible spaces. In Healdsburg, we have a couple of them that they literally, um, we have sort of glass boxes inside of the restaurant and those walls can go away and they can become, on a busy night in the restaurant, they can be just, you know, additional seating inside the restaurant. But on nights where we don't need it or in the daytime where maybe those spaces aren't as much demand, they're spaces where we can profile local makers, local artisans, that sort of thing. And we do that in a couple different ways. We do that, you know, literally where there might be, um, you know, our local coffee purveyor here doing a cupping exercise so people can learn about, you know, how they, they actually roasted the coffee and what makes, you know, different blends that they're making unique and taking taking people through a cupping exercise where they're learning about coffee. It could be where, um, you know, another time of the day, we're actually profiling one of our staff who are doing something, creating something. It could be one of our kitchen staff that are preparing something. So if you wanted to just happen in there and see what they're doing and, you know, bend their ear about something that you found kind of unique or interesting, you could learn from them in a very sort of casual, impromptu way. But we also have another element of something that makes us unique is we have uh, a programmatic side of that learning experience, which we call crafted classes, crafted at Appalachian. And we've started these, you know, already in Healdsburg, even though we're a year out from opening. Um, we have one coming up this Saturday where we work again with local makers, local artisans, and our own team members to provide a more structured learning experience. This week, uh, we're doing one on Saturday up here, which is a whole dis- learning to design a moss wall. Uh, we're working with some local you know, purveyors in that space uh, where people will literally have a hands-on experience with a, a designer to learn how to make a moss wall and take it home with them. Um, and of course, because we're a food and beverage-centric company, there's a food and beverage offering to that as they take in the class. The weekend after next, we've got a fun one coming up where it's a cocktail class that we're doing. People will go, they'll have a chance to make three different unique cocktails. We paired up with a, a local um, distiller who's providing the spirits for us. So again, really profiling a local distiller here that's very connected to our community. And it's an opportunity where also um, Charlie is, is profiling a new cuvee that he's worked on with a vintner. That'll be a, the first time that so we're bringing that to the public and profiling something unique that we're creating in working with a vintner. So those maker spaces kind of ebb and flow and serve a lot of different purposes for us. They could be a traditional you know, event space, but more often than not, it's something else that allows us to leverage those spaces in different ways than, than just a traditional meeting space. And then just one other element that's sort of connected to that is in our larger event spaces right now. Again, in bringing food and beverage forward, we've put in exhibition kitchens. So where it's right, it's not right for every event, but literally 
the kitchen that supports in Healdsburg, we have what we call a grange. It's a meeting space that looks like a modern day barn, beautifully tricked out. Uh, but behind a wall, we can literally open up these beautiful walls and there is a full-on exhibition kitchen where appropriate, it could be a place where, you know, a, a beautiful breakfast layout is laid out with, you know, some activation from one of our, our staff or more of our staff serving. But it also could be a place where we're literally doing preparation and part of that preparation, the experience around it is actually happening as a part of that event that's going on. So um, exhibition kitchens is sort of another element uh, programmatically of how we you know, profile our teams and, and bring food and beverage into uh, maybe a more non-traditional uh, setup than you would expect. Well, all three of these, the exhibition kitchens crafted by Appalachian, the maker space is really what we're talking about here is innovation in some very profound ways. And with innovation, there can be problems. So we're going to circle back here with our fourth question, which is, Chris, what problems would you advise entrepreneurs to focus on solving in order to quickly scale within the hotel industry? You know, I, I had the good fortune, actually, um, while Katie Taylor was the CEO at, at Four Seasons to work with Katie and some other senior leaders to lead sort of an innovation initiative. So I've I'm a student of it. I don't profess to be a, a, a PhD in innovation, but I've learned a lot through the years. And so, you know, one of the things that that we celebrate at, at Appalachian and that's sort of playing from my past is in order to encourage innovation, you have to give people some latitude. We've spent a lot of time in the last two or three years building out how these hotels, all of our hotels will run and be operated. But at the end of the day, we want to know, we want our teams to know that are running those hotels and they're every day, 24-7, because as you know, a hotel is open 365 days a year, 24 hours a day. And we want them to have that ability to innovate beyond you know, the foundation that we've created. And with innovation, as you, as you sort of hinted to, you have to be willing to, you know, to every once in a while realize that it may not work out just as perfectly as you thought it did, even if you have the best laid plans. But hopefully there's lessons learned from that. Hopefully, you know, our teams or whether it's us as the corporate team are thinking through what, what's the potential downside or what's the risk here, but willing to, you know, again, being very thoughtful about how it impacts the guests, but our associates to make sure that we're allowing for and, and providing an environment where innovation is celebrated because that's the way you evolve as an organization. You are taking some risk, Adam. You, you, you are for sure you know, helping people understand, you know, measured risk, uh, but encouraging people to constantly be evolving. We don't want to be stagnant in, you know, our growth. And so there's, there's a fine balance in it all. Fail quickly. It sounds like you have a culture that's attractive to hoteliers and wannabe hoteliers to, to bring in the right people to, to do just that. It's like, yeah, I can come in here and want you to think. We want you to use your brain. Yep. <laughs> and, you know, we like your idea and it doesn't work, you know, hey, keep trying. Yep. Very much so. Yeah, as uh, Jason said, uh, fail fast forward, I guess, is the phrase they use. I think that's a military phrase. But yeah. it's... Uh, U.S. or Canadian? Yeah, uh, U.S. <laughs> um, you know, we... <laughs> uh, up, up here in Canada, we, 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 we do... Our, we have a proud military, but we always look, look south for inspiration in a lot of ways, in more ways than one. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we look north, too. As a guy who's lived in Toronto twice in my lifetime, right, it, it goes both ways. Hope, hopefully, we, 
we learn a lot from you all too. Yeah. Chris, I, I can't thank you enough. This has been just a fantastic conversation to learn about Appalachian, the ways you're innovating, and uh, on more ways than one, not just technology, but also culture and team empowerment, attracting talent. It's it's so important for everyone to hear. Thank you. I can't thank you and, and Jason enough. Really great to spend time with you. Say hi to your dad from us, um, who I've known for many years and have admired, you know, as someone who has helped you know, enunciate and, and amplify um, so many voices and, and companies, you know, in the hospitality business over the years. And it's, it's great to see you following in his footsteps, but evolving and innovating beyond, you know, where dad sort of laid the foundation. Well, yeah, thanks. I mean, uh, I'm not sure he's a, a big on podcasting, but this is the future of media, so to speak, right? Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. And uh, for everyone who's listening, amenitization, you've heard it first. It's now a word. Thanks for listening to the Gain Momentum podcast. To stay up to date, make sure to follow or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. For more information about Gain Advisors, head to gainadvisors.com.